RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I can't complain. Welcome to another episode of RPG lessons learned. Today, we're going to talk about our last adventure in the Essentials line, Cairn of the Winter King. How do you spell Cairn? C-A-I-R-N. So what in the heck is, what is the definition of Cairn? A Cairn is like a tome. Tomb? Tome? To, tomb? Like tomb being like a place you're buried or a yes. tome being a book. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the place you're buried. Okay. That's cool. Yep. So it was the burial place of the Winter King. Um, before we jump into the adventure, do you want to talk about how to subscribe and, and listen to the show more regularly? Yes, everybody out there. So uh, Dusty and I are working hard to get this uh, show posted on a weekly basis. In fact, it, we may be recording some of these in advance. So, you know, to step behind the curtain here. Uh, but yeah, you can go to RPGLessonsLearn.com. Click on one of the episodes and uh, right there on the page, you will see, you know, how to subscribe. It's pretty awesome. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play Music, However, you get your podcasts, we are there, and it's awesome. And you can subscribe to our other shows as well. You should do that. And so let's jump right into the recap. So I'll quickly recap the adventure, and then Brian will talk about our, our, our lessons learned. This one, if I remember correctly, it reminds me of Super Mario Brothers 3. Really? Yes. I'm curious to hear more about that. Okay. So the adventure opens up in Fallcrest. Kind of in, in a winter has fallen earlier. It's the middle of spring, and, and, and it's snowing, and the people of Fallcrest are upset. There's this meeting in the town square or just outside of town. Um, people are, are angry, trying to figure out what's going on. And this ship, the sailing ship, descends from the sky. And a bunch of zombies and skeletons come out. And the ship itself is demanding the Winter Scepter. Uh, you guys fight off the skeletons, fight off the zombies. You figure out that someone in the crowd um, actually has the Winter Scepter. And he confesses to you that he's robbed this grave, um, this basically dungeon complex that was frozen at the time he was in it. You, you snag the scepter and you guys take the sky ship back to the Cairn of the Winter King. Um, it was our first dungeon crawl since the Twisting Halls. So Twisting Halls being the, the Red Box adventure. Mm -hmm. So we, we had skipped the dungeon crawl aspects of the Reavers of Harkenwold and we had played Dusk. This was our very next game after Dusk. So you guys were still smarting from the, the incident with the fans, with the fans of, of the Dusk play. And the mayor feels very comfortable sending you guys on this adventure. Um, actually, no, it wasn't the mayor. It was the captain. Sorry, Captain yeah, Nathan. Nathan Gray. Yeah, he, he had worked with you guys quite a bit and wanted to get you out of town. Like, he understood how those things could happen, but he wanted to get you guys out of town. So you go to the Cairn, you do this dungeon crawl, um, and, and we'll talk about some of the encounters as we go. But at the, at the end of the dungeon crawl was, was this boss encounter with this really high-level um Dungeon King, or sorry, Winter King. This sort of, uh, as I recall, this was a little bit before Frozen, but he was basically uh, uh, an, an older male Elsa. I've never watched Frozen, so that's lost on me. Lots of winter magic, lots of icy spells that he was throwing at you guys. Uh, that's the basic fishbone of the adventure. Shall we jump right into Lessons Learned? Let's do it. What do you remember about that opening scuffle? in Falkrest with the early winter and, and the ship dropping out of the sky. So I, this is where it reminds me of Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, like, platformer games, especially Mario games, tend to try to f uh, figure in uh, the different seasons uh, into things. But of course, Mario 3 is famous for having all the sky ships that uh, basically the Koopas would often hide out in. 
So, uh, just in my mind, this was, uh, so, uh, I can, actually, I guess thinking about it, when did we play this? What year? I think it's sort of been 2012 as well. Okay. We, we played a lot in 12. Okay. So, um, gosh, I can't remember which Transformers movie it was. I think it was Age of Extinction, which came out in 2014. So I'm conflating a lot of this stuff. But um, I remember like the skyship, uh, the aspect of getting in. I don't remember much the encounter before getting into the skyship, but I remember a lot of apprehension about trying to, I guess, commandeer it, I guess. Did, would you say we commandeered it or did we just we, we were able to get aboard it? No, the ship itself spoke and it invited you aboard. You had to tell the ship that you had the scepter and the ship brought you back to the cairn. I remember a lot of apprehension of actually getting aboard the ship. Getting aboard the ship was no problem once you were aboard. Well, I mean, just like the fact that, OK, one, this is a flying ship. That's not something you see every day. I mean, like, no, literally, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a visceral, like that I'm afraid of heights and I was, you know, like sort of lifting my character a little bit. But for whatever reason, I just remember the concept of getting on the ship weirded me out somehow. You know, I had clean forgotten this, but you're jogging my memory. I remember that you guys were interrogating that grave robber, Marco, about, well, you didn't take the ship. How did you, you know, where is this cairn? Can we just walk there? Can we hike there? And, uh. This is one of those prods that I didn't feel bad about because I, I always try to take my my DM prods yeah. from from reality. And as I recall, the 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 mayor of Falkrest, the leader of Falkrest, uh, Farron Marklehay. Man, that's plumbing the depths of my memory. Farron Marklehay was like, "Well, if you can end winter sooner by taking the ship instead of hiking take for a couple weeks, take please take the ship." Yes. And and as a paladin, as a lawful good paladin, yeah. that convinced you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, crops were being ruined. Please end this quickly. That's true. That's uh, I remember that. That's uh, I. I just did not want to get aboard this thing. Well, I guess I thought also perhaps that it may have been a trap of some sort, possibly. And, it, and in fact, there was a skill challenge to get there, and we'll talk about that in a yeah. second. But the le- the lesson learned. So that that brief interaction where your, your character didn't want to get aboard, you had good reasons. You were looking for, hey, can we take the long route? You know, the mayor butts in with a, with a little bit of reality to reality check you guys to say hey let's end this winter more quickly um coming off of dusk all of our games including this dungeon crawl were were made much richer by the role play that we first tried out with dusk yeah i mean i think we really felt our characters more uh we uh could relate to them better and again like i mentioned in the dusk game um there was a level of uh discipline that i had to to bring to that uh paladin character anyway uh, but I think it made the character more rewarding for it. So you get aboard the ship, and then we did something that 4th edition did, um, arguably either very well or terribly, depending on your personal opinion. Yeah. I love them, though. Skill challenges. Mm-hmm. Do you remember skill challenge? Yeah. Uh, this one was uh, climbing, or was it jumping? Well, it was, it was lots of different things, but basically the idea of a skill challenge was that you had to get, get a best 4 out of 7 or a best 3 out of 5, um, depending on the complexity of the skill challenge, um, you had to succeed in a certain number of checks before you failed a certain number of checks, different checks, to be able to navigate some situation. And uh, in fourth edition, I think it made a lot of sense. You, you something as as difficult as navigating a ship uh, or keeping a ship that's falling apart, literally in the sky, keeping that together, it shouldn't come down to one roll. That just feels a little too unrealistic. So, with a skill challenge, it let you say. Hey, best three out of five, you know, oh, you know, the, the rigging just snapped. Can, can you get to the rigging in time and, and retie it? Oh, this other thing happened. 
can you go take care of that? And if you succeed at three out of five of those, then hey, you make it there. If you succeed at five out of five, you make it there with some benefit or you make it there early before all the monsters wake up or, or, or whatever. But I love that skill challenge idea of, you know what? It doesn't come down to just one role. You have a couple of chances to make this go well or poorly. Uh, yeah, I, I like that mechanic. It, of course, it's trying about it's about a simulation, but there are times when you get one role. Absolutely. Yeah, navigating a ship in the sky. Yeah. I mean, if the ship itself, I mean, I mean, obviously the ship is magical, uh, but I don't know. Like if the, if uh, in my old 84 Thunderbird, if uh, the distributor was going to go bad or if it was going to you know stop working, that usually that was that was one roll. It was either it was a D20 and it was a pass or fail. So I couldn't necessarily coax it into into working. But with high enough skill, any road trip could turn into, hey, don't forget to keep water in the radiator. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, you know, we all talk about miles per gallon, but because at the rate this thing burns oil, how many miles to the court does it get? That's exactly right. So if you succeed in all those skill checks and you remember to throw some oil in there, throw some water in there, use the high octane gas, whatever, maybe you make it, maybe you don't. That's fair. Anyway, uh, moving on from the skill check, you arrive at the dungeon. So Brian, I'm going to jog your memory here. I was really investing in D&D at the time. Um, I had every book that had come out for fourth edition, and I was buying dungeon tiles like mad. The poster map for this game was only the inner sanctum. All of the outer rooms to the dungeon, um, they weren't provided. There, there was no poster map that came with the adventure for those. But they perfectly matched several master sets of dungeon tiles that had come out. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely picked up those, and I, I loved those. I had pre-assembled the rooms with dungeon tiles and I had them sitting over on the kitchen counter. And as you guys went from room to room, the first part of the dungeon, I was actually laying down tiles and laying down hallway um, and laying the adventure out for you. Do you remember the tiles? I do. Um, I remember you, the act of you going to the uh, counter, walking over and and laying them down. Um, I don't remember specifics other than that though. So we'll talk about some of the rooms. Uh, The first room. Do you remember the feast that was laid out at the table? It was, oh, it was, uh, did we have to roll a perception check to find out that it was, uh, spoiled? Uh, there was, no perception check was allowed at first, or maybe there was and you all failed it, but it looked like beautiful, amazing, wonderful food, but of course that was an illusion. Yeah. And in reality, it was, it was, it was spoiled meat and very old. Did, were, did we have that NPC meat at the time? Was it? Jason was playing with us. So oh. we introduced several characters and yet Jason was playing Matthias Shulden. Yes. Which was meat shield. Yes. He was a tank. Uh, Jason had uh, had just come back from Oregon. I just moved back to North Carolina. Uh, spoiler alert, we're based out of North Carolina. And uh, he just moved back here. And we were including him in the game. I think this was his first game. He definitely didn't play Dusk. This was his first game. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, he carelessly, he's like, yep, yeah, I do it. The, the adventure wants me to do it. I'm going to do it. We'll find out what happens. I'll eat some of the food at the table. And then he had some, you know, save or get sick dice mechanic that he had to roll yeah uh didn't he also end up eating a human i think that's what that's what the surprise was is that oh it wasn't once, that the, it was once the illusion was pierced it was not only was it super old meat it was it was you, you're cannibalizing a person that's gross yeah it was not something I, I would put in my adventures but hey i was running the this 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 was my last hurrah with essentials i already knew that this would be the last adventure i would run out of a book for a very long time um, so I, I was going to run it. Um, so we ran it 
And that happened. Hashtag that happened. Hashtag that happened. I mean, you know, there are times that going back to the game we talked about recently with um, Mike uh, in the prison break game with, you know, obviously in the room, all four of us knew that uh, it was the other half of the party coming together. But our characters didn't know that, um, you know, it was Mike coming one way and I guess Chris and I coming the other way. Um so we, Mike ended up having to roll a check to see if he was going to attack or not. Yeah, a saving throw. Uh, saving throw. So, uh, I mean, in this sense, Meat, not being the smartest guy, sees food. He's going to eat it. And, you know, even though Jason's obviously smarter than that and knows that, what you know, what the hell. I mean, it's probably an illusion. His character, he's RPing his character, and his character did it. Yep. It's gross still, though. It is. Yeah, and kind of a, kind of a weird thing. Like, this, again, just like Twisting Halls. This dungeon crawl tried to to shoehorn everything in there. Lots of combat, several traps. There was a lot of combat. There was a lot of combat. This this by the way, this wasn't one session. No, it was not. I think this was like three sessions. It, I think it was probably at least three sessions. Um, combat in fourth edition. Oh, love fourth edition, but my god, the combat took forever. Anyway, um, this this game shoehorned everything in: puzzles, traps, combats, um, a couple of NPC interactions. It was meant to be a very rich dungeon, and it kind of was. But uh, don't but, you don't you hate when you pull into work and to get through the gate, you have to move candles around to get them to, in a certain geometric pattern. Well, I wouldn't mind if they didn't change the pattern every time. I know. <laughs> All right, so you guys went a little further down the hall, and, and pretty quickly, um, and I think it was pretty quick. Like everything we've described so far, even the fight at the beginning, we busted through pretty quickly um, because we wanted to reintroduce Mark's character. Um, Mark's dwarf. You guys hadn't played with Mark. Mark hadn't made a session since the Halloween game. He was building his house at this point or something. Yeah, I can't remember what the excuse. Oh, no, I'm sorry. In real life, Mark was building his house. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. I, was, I can't I was to say, I can't remember what excuse we had for the dwarf. But yes, Mark was building his real house at the time. So this was his first game in a while. Um, you guys happened into, just like Twisting Halls, another room with a, with a sleeping white dragon and lots of frozen people around. And lo and behold, there's there's this dwarf that you knew from a few months back um, that was just beginning to thaw out. And that's kind of the play for the whole dungeon. This whole dungeon was thawing out. Yeah. This grave robber, unbeknownst to you guys, had come in to this completely frozen dungeon, frozen monsters, frozen traps, like nothing worked. And he waltzed right through everything, made it to the throne room, saw this beautiful scepter, stole it, and then that awakened and angered the Winter King, and, and the dungeon began to thaw and wake up. So... I liked the flavor of that. I think uh, the adventure did a good job conveying that flavor. This one was was much better written than the Reavers of Harkenwold because that that sense of things are thawing out pervaded every encounter. It it it, it was very consistent. Quick question: So yeah. uh, f- this was fourth edition. Uh, did they they just employed staff writers at that point, right? Or is it or or did they contract out the writing of the game? I'm trying to remember how uh, that worked for at this point. I'm afraid I have no idea. So I, I was listening to the podcasts, the actual official Wizards podcasts, a lot at this time, uh, but I don't. I don't think they talked very much about. Okay, so I can I can remember several podcasts with uh, with Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford talking about the Essentials line and talking about the adventures and the boxes and all that, but I don't remember them talking about who actually wrote them. I mean, the author of this adventure was Matthew Cernet. Okay, and whether he was an employee or a freelancer, I have no idea. I, I, I guess I'm just thinking back in terms of uh, trying to think about how things changed going back to like of Dyson Men, when they're talking about Gygax writing an adventure, 
or somebody else writing an adventure is typically people who were there. But I think that once they're, uh, I think once business changed or maybe the expectations of fans changed that they probably, uh, this is just me guessing. I would assume that they probably branched out to people who are actually writers. Yeah, well, in 5th edition, the answer is much clearer as well. The The actual Dungeons & Dragons staff at Wizards is pretty small. I forget the number. But Mike Merles answered it in a recent tweet, and I think it was in the low 10s. I mean, like yeah. like 11 or 12 people, something, yeah. something like that. And uh, the adventures that have come out recently, the the big you know level 1 to 15 campaigns that have come out recently, um, they've contracted out. I know that, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of, of, of Wolfgang Bauer's company, Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press did one. They worked with, I think, Green Ronin on one. But they're definitely subcontracting out the, the adventures right now. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty normal for Hasbro to do that. They'll uh, occasionally contract out to other studios like uh, Boss Fight Studios and stuff to do like uh, some sculpting for Transformers or G.I. Joe or whatever. So, yeah. And for those of you who, who don't know this, um, and I'm sure most of you do, but for those of you who don't, Brian's main podcast is Radio Free Cybertron which is a Transformers podcast that he's done for how many years, Brian? Uh, off and on. So uh, it's going on 18. 18 years. Yeah. So of the two of us, Brian is definitely the much more experienced podcaster. Uh, if you think the audio sounds good, uh, you owe that to Brian. But yeah, uh, Matthew Cernet wrote this adventure, and this adventure was was much better written than, than Reavers of Harkenwald. Um, we had the mechanic where the dwarf had wandered into the dungeon, had been frozen, and thaws out just in time for you guys to arrive and meet back up with him, and boom, Mark's back into the party. I was pretty proud of that bit of Deus Ex Machina to get Mark back into the game with a minimum of fuss and muss. In hindsight, it's a little hokey. But um, you know what? I would do it again. Yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I, I liked what you said a couple of podcasts ago that you have to make nods to having fun. Yeah. And sometimes you have to... I, I remember telling you guys, hey, I'm going to shoehorn Mark in here so that it kind of makes sense, but I want Mark to play and Mark's yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and everyone went with it because you have to have those nods to having fun. I don't want to cover too many more encounters. Um, not not all of them were memorable. There was a riddle that you had to solve. Was this the one where we did the uh, was the bluff check, or was it a uh, when Chris was able to convince the um, the enemies that we encountered that he was one of them? This was the second time you guys did that. Yes. So the first time was in Kill the Messengers, which was the very short one encounter adventure that happened right after Twisting Halls. Um, Kill the Messengers was only available online. If you Google Kill the PDF, you'll probably still find it. But yes, in this adventure, for the second time, uh, Chris convinced a, a bevy or a, a, a horde. Yeah, not not a horde, a patrol, a patrol of monsters that he was on their side and got them into some room, and you guys were able to ambush them, get in a surprise round. I which thought was, I thought we were able to pit them against another another. Oh, maybe so. Because this was, I think, the best example of Chris actually. Uh, I want to say BSing, uh, because I mean he was a changeling, right? He was at this time, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he was able. We were able to one um, convince this one uh, set of monsters to let us pass. We got to another room. We tried to do the same thing. Um, I don't know that it worked. I can't remember if we backtracked and they came together and ended up fighting, or if the other the second group called the first but for whatever reason i if i'm not wrong we ended up pitting them against each other yeah you're, you're right so wow totally forgotten that too it's it, i'm so glad that we're doing this to, to at least if nothing else document our older games 
But you're right. He said somehow he convinced that one group, the other group were interlopers. It was awesome. It was. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think he had to douse a bunch of torches in the room to make that work. Something like that. Um, loved the, we were so much more comfortable improving by this point. So Chris told me he wanted to metagame that and we talked about how that might happen. And I'm like, okay, as DM, as the arbiter of the world, there are torches in this newly thought out dungeon. You know, there are lights, there's lanterns, there's torches. Um, the lights are back on, so to speak. If you douse the lights and you roll this in the dark, you can convince these guys that these guys are, are intruders. And and he did that. Yeah, we were we were really hitting our stride. I think about Karen the Winter King. We we hit our stride really well in dusk, and we were hitting our stride here. So you guys make it to the Winter King, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this combat. It was a pretty difficult encounter. There there were a lot of environmental hazards. That combat did what Fourth Edition does best, and it created a really satisfying tactical combat. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, one of the more annoying things for me is, is that I actually rewarded you guys with you know i think there was an ice crown and plus the winter scepter itself um mike's character was a wizard so i awarded him that and we were all at the time using the character builder the official wizards character builder online and none of those items were actually in the character builder really yeah that that was super freaking annoying i remember mike went home and, and was so excited to add those things to his character sheet and here's this flagship adventure not flagship but but you know certainly uh a core adventure for wizards as part of the essentials relaunch of fourth edition. This adventure came in a box set. We ran the adventure a year or two after it came out and the items in the adventure weren't available in the character. So you, you had a subscription to that. So you could use that online mm-hmm. fifth edition though. We're using an unofficial app to build our character. Yeah, there's no official character creator right now. That doesn't make any sense. Agree. They're working on it. They are. They are. Um, okay. I forgot the name of it already, but uh, it, it's coming out soon-ish. That seems like a no-brainer. It's, it's already in beta. Yeah, it's such a no-brainer that the one that we use that we love, again, no affiliation, Walter Kramer's 5th edition character sheet or 5th edition character builder, it's easy to use. It's Android and iOS. We, we've literally built characters on our phone in a few minutes. Yeah. It was like a buck ninety-nine something like that, to upgrade to be able to get past level one. And we all use the heck out of that thing now for 5th edition. 5th edition was clearly made to make creating characters easier. Because 4th edition, man, I could hardly build a 4th edition character without the character creator. 5th edition, it's much, much easier to do that. Um, and this guy, Walter Kramer, I mean, he had he had the character sheet app out a couple of months after 4th edition came out. So how... how or 5th. Sorry, yeah, 5th. So how Wizards can't follow suit or wasn't able to follow suit until recently blows my mind. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm not even a programmer, and it seems like it would honestly be relatively easy to accomplish. Relatively easy to accomplish. I mean, there's nothing that's easy other than Hello World. So lessons learned. Um, this was my last. I, I knew it. I knew it before I ran it. I I had invested in the in the uh, dungeon tiles, ironically, and yet I knew this would be my last dungeon crawl for a good long while. I, I needed a break from dungeon crawls. Um. We've only done a couple. I mean, we haven't we haven't done a ton of dungeon crawls even since, honestly. Certainly less than ten. Yeah. And when you think that the the original few years of D and D was built, they were built around dungeon crawls. Dungeons in the name. Yeah, exactly. And I I just man, it rubs me the wrong way. This was a beautifully written, well written adventure. Um, it, it wasn't as satisfying to me as as Dust, but certainly much better than Reavers of Harkenwold. It was thematic. There was a lot of variety. 
Um, but the idea that just a couple of characters are going to go in this dungeon, you know, why wouldn't you have, why wouldn't you go to town and get like 50 guards to back you up? Why wouldn't you do yeah. that? It just, I can't wrap my mind around it as a DM. So I've stopped running dungeon crawls. Yeah. Uh, well, so the, I can, I'm sorry. I, I can never remember the name. But the uh, the last dungeon crawl we did was that really complex dungeon that Gygax wrote. The Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors. And it set up, or at least the way that you ran it, I've never read it. At least the way you ran it, it made sense why we didn't have a whole gaggle of people. Because it was booby-trapped to heck. And you knew that going in. And you knew that going in. It was basically lemmings. And collateral damage was expected. Yeah, so another good lesson learned. Um, is is to set those metagame expectations. I don't want to get too much into Tome of Horrors because I think that'll be a wonderful episode to do oh, yeah. soon. That was a fun game. We should do that next. You want to do that next? Yeah, let's do it. We'll talk about that That next. was a much more recent game. It, yeah. Did we, that was in the last year, wasn't it? It was. Didn't we do that here at my house? We did. We yes. did it in, in this room, in, in fact. In this studio. Yes. Um, I like the idea of bouncing back and forth between older games and recent games, just in case people are, are getting a little burned out listening to 4th Edition. We'll talk about how can you get burned out listening to fourth edition? <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, a, a book just came out. I know, Brian, you don't keep up with the releases. I can't but, read. Uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal just came out, and it includes a version of Tome of Horrors updated for fifth edition. I just updated it myself on the fly. I, I I had a classic copy of the of the the original module, and I just ran that and updated you know the monsters on the fly. So we we ran it in fifth edition. Um, I. I I, I have a copy of Yawning Portal. I've read quite a few. So Yawning Portal is made up of just various classic dungeon crawls. Was that AD and D originally? Um, it was one, it was first edition. Okay. What else? Um, what else about Karen the Winter King do we want to talk about? Uh, I mean, we've talked about it before, but like, have fun. I, I, to me, again, dungeon crawl is not necessarily my favorite thing. Uh, just in the, the style of game that we played, but uh, Chris, uh, what he did. I mean, put yourself in the game and, and really think in terms of your character. Really RP your character and do what your character would do. So Chris's uh, character was a changeling, highly manipulative. I mean, that's the way he played. It's, that's who he was. And that worked out to great effect in this game because we were able to basically negate two long encounters. Uh, we were basically able to roll them into one because uh, Chris was, you know, smart enough to actually try to manipulate. And I I I loved that. That was my single favorite moment from the whole game. And don't feel constrained by the adventure again on the page. I felt constrained by that that first room with with the with the human meat on the table, uh, disguised by an illusion to be a beautiful, gorgeous feast. I, it just didn't fit. I ran it. It was in the adventure. It just didn't fit. I should have cut it out. Lesson learned for me. I need to feel more free to cut things out. I don't know that I would have cut it out. I mean, again, it's gross, but it's it was a set piece. It helped set the tone for the for the not not the game, but the dungeon. It helped set expectations as to what we might see. But it it, it did, but in a way, it didn't because nothing like that. There were no there are no major illusions like that in the rest of the. There, in point of fact, were. I don't remember what were they. Yeah. Um. Well, so I'm going back from memory. As I recall, um all along this 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 dungeon. So they did a really good job making it multi-layered. Mm -hmm. uh, the dungeon was cold and wet and mm -hmm. thawing out. There were rooms of frozen monsters that were thawing out, mm -hmm. and that was consistent throughout. But also, turns out, 
uh, this whole area, this cairn, the Winter King took it over. This was originally a, a, a little goblin. Sorry, not goblin. I don't know why I said that. Dwarven stronghold. Yes. There were frescoes or bas-relief carvings of dwarves everywhere. And we didn't even talk about one of the subtasks was you encounter this room that was mostly frozen with some dwarven ghosts in there asking you to, you know, vanquish the Winter King and reclaim this dwarven mm-hmm. complex for, the, for, for, for these these deceased dwarves, these, these dwarven ghosts. And you did that. So it was multi-layered, multifaceted. There, there was a lot to it. Um, yes, there were some more illusions. Nothing quite as gross as that right up front, um, which is why I, I, it, I, I, it I guess didn't fit. It didn't fit. I get that. That's cool. That was it. That was our last dungeon crawl. We we will talk about Tomb of Horrors next week. We do have a couple of more fourth edition games to talk about. We said something last week, Brian, during Dust that I do want to touch on because people who listen to Dusk heard us say that the encounter with the fans, uh, I I thought was a kind of a death knell to this campaign. And then we go on to have this podcast where we talk about how much better we were at improving, how we really came into our own as an adventuring party. I do want to touch on, as you guys left the Cairn of the Winter King, um, you guys had already left. We ran this game at my house. You guys had already left and gone home. I wrote a recap email. And uh, to introduce the, the next adventure that we actually played, which was you guys getting your own stronghold. Yes. Um, um, oh, I thought that was a different set of characters. No, it was a different set of rules. I was tired of 4th edition, and we moved on to a game called BFRPG, and, and we'll talk about that in an upcoming podcast soon. But um, as you guys came back into town, um, I had the townspeople less than pleased with you, yeah. still upset with you for what happened with the fans during dusk. I could have sworn this took place in the same world, but it was a different set of uh, adventurers, and our other adventurers were referenced in the game where we had mentioned how we had killed the girls. You're thinking of Mike's game, and that, that did happen in Mike's okay, game. Okay, okay. Yeah, and we'll talk about Mike's game soon as well. But um, for all that we were coming into our own, and, and Canada the Winter King was the best dungeon crawl I'd run to this point because I felt free to run with things, um, there was still some tension. You were still talking to Chris about how bad, how bad you felt, how bad Malkior felt about what happened with the fans. So um, at this point, this campaign w- was starting to wind down. Yeah. You guys needed a break from these characters. We'd had this heavy emotional moment that we all bumbled into. And it showed a little bit in this adventure. There were some rooms that you bypassed. There were some combats that you bypassed. I'm certain. There were some rooms where, oh, hey, there's there's two owlbears caged up in the corner. And you guys were like, no, nah, I'm not even, no, I'm not dealing with that. Then, I'm not going to kill, I'm not going to put down these animals if I don't have to. Yeah. I mean, that probably would have taken five, five plays to get through if we hadn't. Yeah. Well, but, but also I think the aftershocks of Dusk and for the first time questioning, hey, these aren't just bags of experience points walking around. These are these are living, breathing creatures. We were starting to feel that way and think that way about the game. You know, thinking about it, uh, thinking about other RPGs that I've played since, not board, or, not board games, but specifically like Bethesda stuff, um, I don't attack anything at all, period, unless it attacks me first. Um, so especially animals. I, like I know in Skyrim, you can kill animals, you can mount them. I would never do that. So do you feel like Dusk had something to do with that? Possibly. Or, I mean, again, same. I'm still playing the same character that I am from that campaign. Even when I play that game now, I'm still playing the same character. I'm still approaching things the same way. So you're still Malkior. You still have that in your past. Yes. Interesting. All these years later, All these years Malkior later. still is re- redeeming that sin. Yes. All right. Um, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, next week, let's do talk about Tomb of Horrors. 
Yeah, that sounds great. And then we will pick back up with the with this campaign, um, talking about you know how it continued to die, and and we'll we'll kind of do a post mortem on this campaign and what we learned. Sounds great. See you then. People call them post mortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>